This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Nowadays, sometimes you can look at the world and think, we've gone crazy. Things seem out of control. But remember, God is always in control. Are you looking for something fresh, new, and exciting? This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Taking the positive message of Jesus Christ to the world. Proclaiming he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Broadcasting from the Upper Room Studios to the world. Are you ready? Let's get into it. This is Outreach.fm. And now, here's Pastor William Luffman. Father, thank you for the word we're about to receive. We receive it with gladness in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. How be it, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world. So this tells us right out, there's two types of wisdom. There's a, there's a wisdom of this world, but there's another kind of wisdom. And that's really the kind of wisdom that we all need to be seeking. He said, not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, or even the leaders. I said, even the most uh, powerful leaders of this world have a certain kind of wisdom but they only have it for a little while and then they're off the scene. Amen. They're, it's only temporary. What, even their power is temporary. Amen. We, we've had 45, 40, now 46 presidents in this nation's history and they don't get to stay. They're there for a little while and they're moved on down the line. And if, you, if you're like me, you've lived a few years, you've seen a lot of their funerals. So... But there's a different kind of power and there's a different kind of wisdom. Verse seven says, but we speak the wisdom of God. Everyone say the wisdom of God. Oh, okay. In a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So there's another kind of wisdom, but it's secret and it's mysterious and it's actually hidden. Now, I won't go into what we've been talking about on Sunday morning, but we all know about the kingdom oh, yeah. and, and how the kingdom is hidden. And so this wisdom is in that kingdom. And, and this, the scripture says here, there was something that was set up for us, for our glory that has been hidden ever since this world as we know it has begun. And a lot of kings and rulers have risen and they have fallen and they didn't even know it was there. Even the smartest man, the richest man, the most powerful man, the most famous, uh, a lot of them never even know that it exists because it's a different kind of wisdom. Verse eight, which none of the princes, or we would say rulers of this world knew. How many of them? None. Because for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So I used to read this verse always in the negative, And I would say, well, the devil, if he would have known what was going to happen, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus, but the devil didn't crucify Jesus. Rulers on this world crucified him. 
And even if it had been, now we know that Pilate and Herod had all kinds of other issues going on internally, but even if it had been a good ruler, even a good ruler probably would not have crucified Jesus because they would have said he's a good man. We don't need to crucify him. But, but I, what I want you to see is he was sent here for that reason. His ambition his secret ambition was to, his assignment was to walk out all those years that he was here on this planet the, in his ministry, three and a half years, and to eventually be on that cross. That was his assignment. Amen. Now, the only reason I want to point this out to start out is, is if you don't walk close with God, you're going to miss a lot of stuff because a lot of stuff is hidden. It's not obvious it's not discernible, no matter how much your IQ is, you'll, you'll miss it. You won't even know about it. Can you shout amen? amen? So in the New Living Translation, it says, when, but yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak the words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. I thought that was interesting because these rulers are soon forgotten. Know the wisdom we speak, verse seven, I'm in the New Living Translation, same verses is of the mystery of God. I put the word secrets of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world would not have understood it. If they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Jesus knew what was going to take place. The moment he stepped into his ministry at 30 years old, he began to fully understand everything that his life would be about. Now, I want you to think about these last few days. We, we were here on Sunday for what we, were, we called Palm Sunday. We even talked about how even preachers have misinterpreted him coming in like he did. So we kind of looked at a lot, a lot of that. But in these last few days that he was here before he was crucified, uh, he knew he would be betrayed. He knew he would be denied. He knew he would be beaten. He knew he would be forsaken. He knew he would be uh, crucified. He knew all of this. Now, but I want you to think about what I just said. He knew it. He knew it before it happened. He knew it. Now, if you knew that in the next five days you were going to be beaten, uh, smitten, crowns of thorns crushed on your head, denied, betrayed, spat upon, and even nailed to a cross, if you knew that in advance, if you're like me, you'd be trying to be somewhere else doing something else and not there. But I want you to think about, I want you to get the gravity of this for a moment because I think sometimes it escapes us that he knew all of this was going to take place, but his secret ambition was to walk through all of it. And although he knew what was going to happen, he continued on forward till it brought him to that cross. He kept on going. Can you shout amen? Paul talks about something powerful in the epistles. He talks in, in 216 times, he makes some either direct or indirect uh, reference to this phrase, Christ in you. Are Jesus in you? Christ in you. Jesus knew that as long as he was in that mortal body on this planet, they saw him 
as this incredible, uh, you know, this miracle worker and sea walker and all these things, he saw himself as completely limited because he was in that body. They wanted to be around him. His goal was to finally be in them. They didn't know that. Now, at least 60 times in the gospel, I have these verses. If you want them, you can contact me. Maybe we'll put them up on the website later or put them somewhere in public display. Uh, from the, I use the English Standard Version because it's a little easier to read for those. But at least 60 times in just the gospels, Jesus talks to them about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be denied. I'm going to be, but he keeps telling them over and over and over and over and over. He tells, he tells the disciples innumerable times, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised up. He keeps telling them, this is what's going to happen. And honestly, they never really got it. It's amazing that his secret ambition was to give his life away. That's what the song says, by the way, by Michael W. Smith. Nobody knew his secret ambition was to give his life away. Powerful. Just to me, sometimes, even when I say it, I get these little Holy Ghost tingles on me. Nobody knew that his secret ambition was to give his life away. Wow. Although he told them. I looked up the word ambition, just a general generic definition, it, and it says it this way, a strong desire to do something typically requiring determination and hard work. Well, I would say that was a, quite an understatement. Strong desire uh, to do something typically requiring determination and hard work. In other words, if you amb ambition alone will get you nothing. I've, I've been around a lot of ambitious people in my life that were lazy. And boy, they're good talkers. Oh, I can do this and I can do that. I can do this thing over here and I can do that over there too. And then you look at the summation of their life and they basically have achieved nothing. But Jesus had an ambition that drove him. He said in one place it says his zeal had eaten him up. He was consumed with it. And when he knew what was going to happen, the Bible says his face was like Flynn and he hid it there anyway. Are you, are you hearing me? A better definition I found was about ambition is the intense desire to accomplish the assignment at any and all cost. I kind of like that one better. The intense desire to accomplish the assignment at any and all costs. So I really think that probably, probably does sum up what Jesus' ambition, that he was that way. He had this intense desire. He had this assignment. And once he got his assignment, and although he went through a lot of different distresses, and he went through a lot of, of things in those three and a half years, he never lost sight of his assignment. And even though others tried to steer him into other directions, even the devil in his early, very few, 40 days into his ministry tries to offer him this and offer him that and offer him the other thing. And he said, get thee behind me. I have an assignment. 
I have an ambition to, to fulfill my assignment and that's what I'm going to do. And he tried to be talked, you know, they tried to talk him out of it. You know, Peter tried to talk him out of it. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. You know, are you listening to me? Now, he mentions something really mysterious here. Go with me quickly to Revelation 13. Now, this is at a time when it's in the, you know, a different frame of, but it, the thing about the book of Revelation, and I want to help you if you ever study it. By the way, we did it in our Bible college here. I taught every verse of it from Revelations 1, 1 to Revelations 22, 21. We probably still have that somewhere on video. And I don't know how to get that available to you. Maybe we can figure that out. But, but uh, and I studied under Dr. Hilton Sutton, who I think was the very best uh, and, uh, in eschatology, the, the, the study of end times. And uh, if you read the book of Revelations and you don't understand that it's not all necessarily in chronological order, you'll get completely lost. Because some of it has historic parts in it that helps you kind of tie in the history to bring you into it. And if you don't know how to dissect one from the other, you'll just be sitting there going, blah, 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 and you will know what you do. But we're in a place now where he's going to throw in some history in the middle of some events that are happening in in Revelation 13 and verse 8, because this is at a time when the beast has risen up and the, and the unity has been made with the nations, with the ten crowns and heads, and I'm not going to get into all that tonight. Uh, and the beast is, you know, now in power during this part of the tribulation, which the church will not be here uh, during that time. Um, and he was given power to make war, it says in verse 7. We don't want to get into all that. But verse 8 says, and all they that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. This is talking about the beast, not about God here. When he's at the height of his power. But I want you to notice this. All shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb. So that tells you they're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. And notice this though, slain, talking about Jesus, slain from the foundations of the world. Meaning that before God ever put everything in motion here, he already had a fail-safe plan in place that Jesus would go to, one day would appear in a flesh body, walk on this earth, be among human beings and actually be in a human body and would go in that human body to the cross and be slain for mankind. Are, are, are you hearing me? The, the reason you need to, you just need to understand that God's plan reached that far back, reached all the way back here. Wait, before you and I were ever born, before Adam and Eve were even put in that garden, God already had a fail-safe plan in, in that if they went, you say, well, he knew, but now wait a minute, just be careful when you throw words like that around. God gave them the ability to choose. People that get into these doctrines of election, well, God already knows who's going to be saved and who's not, and it's just nothing you know. You need to get away from that stuff. You need to run from the hills if you hear that kind of garbage. That's, that's heresy. Because the Bible's given us the ability to choose good and evil. We get to choose our path. I could choose right now. God would let me. If I chose right now to walk out off of this pulpit, down these steps, out that door, cross over, jump over that fence out there where the trees are, walk out into the middle of the interstate and let a semi-truck run over me, God would let it happen because I get to choose. 
but I'm not going to. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> Amen. But God put this fail-safe plan in. And God knew that it would take that if mankind chose the wrong route, that it was going to take someone in a man, human body. The word human, let me just throw this out there. I just feel like I need to just teach a little for a second. The word human, it's hue. Okay, and there's another word in, it's Hebrew. The word hue there really means dirt, means flesh. So hue, man, man means ish. It's the word ish, which means really spirit. So we are really a flesh or dirt being made out of flesh, flesh that we also have a spirit, human. All right? doesn't mean like man is male. It means that's what we are. We are a species that was made from, from in a flesh state that actually has a spirit. Amen? And God knew that for, if mankind fell, it was going to take a human to come and pay the price because the human is the one who faltered and allowed sin in. Now, I don't want to get it. I don't want to say too much about this tonight because maybe I can say a few things on Sunday. I want to try to keep Sunday more about the resurrection, but boy, I've been studying some fun stuff. You know me, man, I like to study. Uh, you know, death, death only exists because of sin. We don't hear any mention at all of death in the Bible in the, in the book of Genesis until after the sin. That's the only reason death exists. I guess I got to say it. So God told them, don't eat of any of, you need of all the trees in the garden. But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And he did not mean an instantaneous death in their body, but he meant that death would be then in the human race. Now, why did God not want them to eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? Because again, that was disobedience that put them into sin and they would have lived in a human body forever in a sin state. Now, when you're in a sin state, you can feel pain. You can feel misery. You can feel everything that you can feel in your flesh when you are in a sin state. And even when you're in a human state, you can. But that's why in the future, God has a glorified body for us. Where we're not going to feel pain and sickness and disease and anguish and, and all of that misery that comes with. So I, I don't, I, I'm throwing out some pretty meaty chunks and I don't have time to really paint the picture complete. So I better not say too much more or I might lose a few of you. Okay. So let's just. Let's just park that right there for now. Let's let that just hang right there, as they say. Now, Matthew chapter 13, if you want to go over there, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Matthew chapter 13. Everyone say, his secret ambition was to give his life away. Man, every time I say it, it just I just sense that in my heart. It's a... Whew. Jesus is teaching them parables about the kingdom here, which we've been studying and which we will study again in the not too distant future. And in verse 34, he said, all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables and without a parable spake he not unto them. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundations of the world. Now, I'm just telling you, when you walk with God and you'll get, I mean, I just, God's told me secrets about my, my life, secrets about stuff that I would have never figured out with just my brain. It, when you are walking with God, you have access to his wisdom. You have access to his knowledge. You have access to the Holy Spirit. You have access to so many things. Why do you think Enoch got translated, which it was before Jesus went and died for mankind. It was after, it was after sin had come into the earth, but Enoch was able to get translated didn't even die a human death and just went straight up into heaven with God. If you study it, you got to go start around Genesis 5, 22 and just, and you got to figure out it's because for over 300 years, Enoch walked with God. He didn't just walk with him one day. Enoch wasn't just out living his life. And one day he kind of walked with God. And next thing you know, he was in heaven. No, he walked with him 300 years. Now, can you imagine if you're with somebody that long, you're going to get to know them pretty well. I've been with Pastor Ginger now. We dated for 13 months. We're coming up on 39 years here in just a little while. So you could say 40 years now that we have been. And I know that woman. Man, I know that woman. And she knows me because we've been together a long time. I don't have to wonder what... I can be sitting there and I'll know exactly what she's thinking without her saying anything. And if you've been married that long and that doesn't work for you, 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 got, you got some work to do. <laughs> Darnell and Angela are back there. They've been married longer than us, so they know what I'm talking about. But can you imagine walking with God for 300 years? The things that Enoch knew and he knew about God and how God thought and how God moved and how God how God did everything. Incredible. Can you say amen? amen. But he says, uh, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So the, the disciples were getting, they were, they were being told things that had been kept secret since the beginning. And he, he was telling them, and, and the thing he was really telling them over and over is, I'm here to die for you. I'm here to deal with the one and only enemy that mankind has never been able to defeat, cannot defeat now and never will. It's called death. Now we in our lifetime have seen a ton, I say it all the time in this church, we've seen a ton of very famous and powerful people in our lifetime that some of us thought probably, and I know your brain knows better, but somehow you, you trick yourself into thinking they'll never die. I have worked for people that were rich and powerful Back when I was really doing a lot of construction back in the 80s, I worked for some very rich and powerful people. And I mean, you know, at that time, I'm just a little painter guy out there, you know. You know, back in that time, I'm making 40, 40 grand a year, maybe knocking out 40, whatever it is a year. And they're making just, just untold amounts of money. And I would see them and somehow you kind of get this thought in your flesh. Well, those people, they got it. They'll just they'll, they'll never die. But they're all gone. And Jesus is telling them, 
there's this thing that's been kept secret. That if you, even though the prophets talk some about it, nobody could understand it. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here now in the flesh to tell you that the secret is, it's me. And I have come, my secret ambition is to give my life away. And he said, this, is, this has been since the beginning of time, this secret has been there. And now you're getting to see what it's like. Go to Matthew 17. Can you shout amen? I can hear some of your brains grinding out there. That's good. We need to think. Now, Jesus would just be going along talking about different things. We won't read it here, but, but he's talking about uh, what Mark talked about in Mark 11, about, you know, if you have grain of mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be removed, hence, and it'll be cast in the sea. And if you're not, he's, he's given that whole statement. He's preaching this powerful faith thing. And then he says, you know, in verse 21, this comes not but by prayer and fasting. Now he's in the middle of this great, great sermon about faith. And then he says, and then it says, and while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they will, they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry, but they didn't understand this was his ambition. They didn't understand even when he would tell them what he was going to do, even if for a moment they got some visual uh, clip of it in their mind and they, they would be sad about it. But honestly, he was trying to say to them, this is why I'm here. This is why I came. This is my purpose for even being here. Is that one day I'm going to be delivered into their hands and they're going to kill me. But he says here, the third day I will be raised again. So he's saying what you're going to see, don't let it fool you because it's always been the plan. It's always been the plan. And the plan, oh Jesus, has been worked out on the other side of the cross. Not just the plan to the cross, but the plan on the other side. And we preached on Easter Sunday a message called The Other Side of Death. And I've been studying on this. I don't want to say too much more about that. I'll get into it prematurely. Now in Hebrews chapter 9, if you'll turn over there. I almost said something there a minute ago. Oh my Lord. Lord help us Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to go down to verse Six. Now, this is talking about the old covenant versus the new covenant, the old tabernacle that was made with hands versus the new one. So we're going to read kind of quickly, but I want to pick out just a couple things as we go. In Hebrews chapter nine, verse six. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So these compartments of the physical tabernacle, the priest could go into the first compartment. But unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, but not without blood. 
which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. So the high priest only got to go into this holy of holies. He only got to go in once a year. And when he came in there, he had to go in with blood to offer an atonement for the sins of the people, for himself and for the sins of the people. And he had to do this and they had to do it every year. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Meaning back then they did this because it was the only thing they could do. The system, this had to be done and it had to be done every year because Jesus hadn't been born yet. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present and which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So it goes on to say, we stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Everybody say the time of reformation. So they had to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and it was this, this thing they did. And, and it, and even then it never even purified they're conscious. It was just, it was just a mechanical thing that they did so that the people could be cleansed. Now the next verse, verse 11, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once, once, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I mean, these are powerful verses here. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first Testament, that which are called, that which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, which of course was Jesus. You can't, you, you never get to go to hear the reading of a will that can go into effect until the person who had the will is passed. I have a will that has some things about our children and I always tell them, well, guess what, honey, as long as I'm alive and you don't get it. Amen. For a testament is a force after men are dead. You can enforce it. You can enforce a testament after the person dies. Say, I can enforce it. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, because they, they used blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats without water and scarlet wool and hyssop, sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament which God has ordained unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary 
that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, I only say that to mention to you that everything they did in the Old Testament was just to put a pattern on the earth. It was almost like a path that Jesus would walk in, but it would be higher and it would be much better than the one that had been set before. And I just said a whole lot that if you thought on it more, you would catch more in it, but I don't have time to get into it right now. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself. So think about this. Jesus entered into heaven itself with his blood. The veil of the temple was rent on the ground, but the veil in heaven was also rent. And Jesus went into the holy of holies where God himself sat on the throne with his blood to offer the sacrifice for our sins. Mm. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Uh, verse 25, neither yet that he should offer himself often, meaning he didn't do it often as a high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. He said, you know, if it'd been that way, then Jesus would have had to have done it all the time. And notice this, but then must he often, he have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, now we got to understand we are, we have been in the end times ever since Jesus went to the cross. The end times started 2,000 years ago. They didn't start last week. Notice this. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many and unto them, and to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So again, I want you to just see once again, his secret ambition, he knew the model that man had to follow all those years with the high priest and how they had to keep bringing bulls and goats and the bloods and the pit and all these things. And Jesus knew the model and his secret ambition was, I'm going to be the one that once and for all puts that away, stops that forever. I'm going to give my own blood. And I'm going to do this one time and it's going to be strong enough that every man and woman who comes to me, all of their sins are going to be forgiven. Can you shout amen? Go back to Ephesians chapter two. It's just a few books behind you there. You're close. If you're in Hebrews, you're just a little ways back. And I'm going to read quickly Ephesians chapter two. Everyone say his secret ambition was to give his life away. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you, everyone say me or I. You has he quickened. That's an old English word. It means made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. This is how we used to be among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, even by just being born on this planet, the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, the, 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 the literal Greek says incredible. 
His incredible love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By Christ you are saved. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Listen to this. Which God has before ordained. All the way back there. Before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. In other words, you were counted out because you weren't Jews. You weren't circumcised. You didn't have a covenant. There was a time, that's where you and I were included in that bunch. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. I like that word commonwealth. Just divided up, commonwealth. The commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make it himself of twain one new man as making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. So notice, by the cross. By the cross, he was able to reconcile Everything that had been going on since the beginning of the world was reconciled at the cross. His secret ambition was to get on that cross. He knew he was sinless. He knew he didn't have any sin. He knew we had sin. And the Bible says, he that knew no sin was to made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he came and preached peace to you, which were afar off into him that are nigh. For through him, we both, that's the Jewish folks. And that's those of us that are born again, have access by one spirit unto the father. Now, therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. Can you shout amen? His secret ambition was to go through all that he went through because if he could get to that cross, he could have called down angels. He could have stopped that at any moment, at any moment, he could have come off that cross. There was a reason he kept quiet because he knew the power of words. He was very, very, very selective about what little words he did say because he knew 
that he had to be, his ambition was not to get on that cross, but was to die on that cross. Because when he died on that cross, something was going to be birthed. And it was you and me eventually. Can you shout amen? Finally, turn to 1 Peter. I don't know if you can stand it. Man, I tell you what, up here, I want to shout. I want to dance. I want to run. <clears throat> First Peter, Peter walked with Jesus. He was, I think Jesus really loved Peter. And I know he really loved John. John. John pointed out more than once, I'm the disciple he loved. But I actually believed that he loved all his disciples. And he loved Peter. He, he saw the potential in Peter and And he said, you know, I prayed for you that when you're converted, you'll strengthen the brethren. He said that to Peter. And he said also, you know, when Peter finally got that revelation about Jesus being the son of the living God, he said, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Because remember again, the wisdom of the world, you can't see it. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my spirit. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. He wasn't talking about a piece of rock, uh, you know, uh, some kind of a, a piece of rock. He was talking about revelation knowledge. He was talking about when you walk with God, you get to learn the secrets of the kingdom. You get to learn things that nobody knows. And upon that rock of knowing those things, he said, I'll build the church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. So we're going to read from Peter's own book here in first Peter chapter one, verse 13. Wherefore, that's all of us in here, all of you watching online and you ought to be Really getting excited out there. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Boy, that is a strange phrase, but it's powerful. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he's revealed. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy... So be you holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, uh, be you holy for I'm holy. And if you call on the father who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, with things that die as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your father's but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. My God in heaven. He was manifest For you, he was manifest for me. He was manifest for every person that's been born. Let's read more. Notice this from the foundation of the world. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth, through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again. Remember, we've been talking about that from John 3. Being born again, 
not of corruptible seed. That means your human body, your human parents, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass. How much flesh? So we talked about earlier, everybody that's human, they're in this body. You don't have any hope that this body that you have now is going to keep going on forever because it is not. It's not designed to. All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel, which we've been talking about, has been preached unto you. Somebody give the Lord a good shout tonight. Hallelujah. Give him a good shout tonight. Hallelujah. Jesus' secret ambition was to give his life away. He knew from the foundation of the world what it was going to take. And the Bible says when the fullness of time had come that he was born of a woman on this planet. And as much as the crowds gathered and cheered and as much as his disciples tried to pull him back, as much as even his own flesh felt all the pain and all of the, the anguish. And he, the Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few hours a little while before he was going to be arrested that he prayed so earnestly. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. However, not my will be done, but your will be done. I'm going to go and go back to why, what I'm here for. And I'm going to go forth with my secret ambition. And he went all the way to the cross and was nailed out there on that cross on that afternoon and he hung there and he died on the cross for you and for me. I don't know about you, but every time I get to thinking I'm not worth anything and it's pretty easy to do that when you know yourself. Every, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been down on yourself, but I've sure been down on myself a few times. I am probably, uh, well, I, I think, well, not, it's not true every day. I have some critics, but for the most part, I'm my own worst critic. But every time I start getting a little too harsh, I remember about his secret ambition was to give his life away for me. That's why he came. That's why he was here. That's why he did what he did. The, 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 the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they didn't understand it. They thought he had come to take away all of their their followers and, and, and he was going to set up a permanent kingdom and his disciples thought that and all the people that, that had been healed and they, they cheered and they wanted him to be raised. They had no idea that his secret ambition was to give his life away. You've been listening to the Outreach.fm podcast with your host, Pastor William Luffman. We hope you've gotten some inspiration from this show. We enjoyed bringing it to you. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, reach out online. 
find our website at faithoutreach.org. The streaming platform is livestreamchurch.com. Get an inspirational shot at a doseofhope.com. You've been listening to Outreach.fm. And remember, no matter what the weather may seem like in your life, the sun's going to shine again.